The Tom Woods Show, episode 1948. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey folks, don't even think about missing the libertarian event of the year, the 2000th episode of The Tom Woods Show, live in Orlando, featuring many of your favorites from The Tom Woods Show. And Michael Malice says his special surprise guest, whose identity I myself don't even know, will bring the house down. Cost nothing to attend. Register at TomWoods2000.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. I have a few things on my mind I'm going to talk about today. They all have to do with the subject of you-know-what, but it has a bit of a personal side to it because I do want to talk a little bit about my own experience. I'm still sort of getting over pneumonia, but I... I feel pretty much, I don't know, I, I guess at this point I would say I feel about 85 to 90%, so that's pretty good. I mean, there are days when I'm in perfect health when I don't feel <laughs> like 85, 90%, so I'm, I'm feeling fine. Until I got a negative COVID test, I didn't mention the COVID part of it. And the reason is I'm a semi-public figure, and frankly, I don't want 3,000 emails from people acting like I've never heard of ivermectin or something like that. I just... I don't want that, honestly. Like if I had cancer, I really don't want to just eat broccoli to try to conquer it. You know, I, I know people mean well, but trust me, I'm a smart cookie. I'm being advised by smart people who know what they're doing. I just don't want all the unsolicited health advice. And when you say you have pneumonia, nobody gives you any health advice because nobody knows what the heck to do. <laughs> nobody has any idea what to do. But for a year and a half, people have been talking about what to do about this. I already know, I know about vitamin D. I know all that stuff. I just didn't want my inbox filled with it. But anyway, now that it's behind me, I want to do a few things on this episode. I want to, first of all, just say a little bit about what the experience was like for me. Then secondly, I was thinking about the person... I may have gotten it from. Now, again, I don't want emails about, but you don't get a virus from people because I subscribe to another theory of viruses. You're barking up the wrong tree with that, so don't do that. But I was speculating about that. What if I could talk to the person who made me sick? What would I say? So I was thinking about that. And then there's an interesting item out of Iceland that I want to make sure and cover on this episode because I think you guys will find that interesting. So anyway, what was the experience like for me? Well, First of all, it took a long time to clear. It took me longer than it, it takes other people. But for most of that time, it wasn't like absolutely intolerable. For most of that time, so let's say roughly about mid-July, I started to feel kind of bad. Most of that time, it was just a low-grade fever with fatigue. And low-grade fever, I mean not even hitting 100 or maybe hitting 100.5, something like that. So... What happened was I started to get this mild fever, but what was really laying waste to me was just the fatigue. I was just so tired all the time. So, you know, and I have five daughters. I'm just lying there on the couch saying, all right, look, let's play more Jackbox games because that's all I've got the energy for. So I called my doctor. And as it turns out, at this particular practice, I don't have a doctor right now because the doctor I had isn't at this practice anymore. So I'm still kind of loosely affiliated with that practice, but there's no doctor for me because I haven't gone in since he left to see another doctor. So I didn't really have anybody in particular I could call in the local area to ask, should I come in? But I called the practice anyway and spoke to somebody and I described my symptoms and they said, well, basically with something like that, 
there's really nothing we're going to be able to tell you except just go home and treat the symptoms. I mean, honestly, that's what we're going to tell you. If you want to take a COVID test, you could do that. But again, it's almost certainly going to be, you know, you're going to have to just treat your symptoms. So I thought, all right, well, that, that kind of makes sense. But doggone it, the fever just wouldn't go away day after day after day after day. I thought, no, this is just not normal. And eventually it did start to hit, eventually it hit 102. But again, 102 fever, I wouldn't, I'm not going to go to the doctor for 102 fever. Why would I do that? But it was simply the duration of the fever. I've never had one that went on that long. And that just seemed abnormal to me. So finally, I decided to go in and be seen. They gave me a chest x-ray and they came back and said, yeah, you got pneumonia, man. That's your issue. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I'm sitting there in the hospital bed. I wasn't admitted to the hospital at that point. I went home that night, but I'm sitting there, you know, just waiting to find out more. And the, the nurse comes by, opens the door and says, oh, by the way, you also have COVID. Then she closed the door and just continued on. Oh, okay. How about that? So they sent me home that night and they sent me home with a little device to keep an eye on my oxygen and stuff like that. And, you know, just saying, you know, treat the symptoms and this and that. And I don't remember the exact regimen, but it all made sense. So eventually, within a few days, the fever finally broke, which was really what was making me the most uncomfortable. I can handle the rest of it. And, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm short of breath. I'm not really. I mean, if, I'm sure if I tried to run a marathon, I would be, but I would be anyway if I tried to run a marathon. So I don't mind that so much because right now, I would say that if I go to take a deep breath, it's just not as deep as it normally is. But every day it gets better. I, there's a breathing exercise that I've been doing that really helps. And so every day it gets better. But as I say, I don't, I don't get winded if I run up the stairs or anything like that. So I really am feeling a lot better. So anyway, so I went home and for a couple of days, we just kept an eye on all my numbers. But I was told that if your oxygen number and I'm sorry, I'm so stupid. I don't even know what they all what they all signify. But if it gets below 90 consistently, you need to come back in. We're going to have to help you with your oxygen. I thought, what do you think? I'm 87. This isn't going to be a problem. <laughs> this is no problem. Come on, now, breathing. I mean, come on. You know, look, I there are a lot of things old Woods can do, and breathing is way at the top. I mean, this is not going to be a problem. But the thing was that, yeah, at the end of the day, I would sit there. And we would put this thing on my finger. And sure enough, it was saying like 87. And I couldn't understand it. It feels like I'm breathing normally. If I hadn't had this thing, I would have had no idea there was any problem. It feels like I'm breathing normally. And, and I thought, you know, 87, you round that off, you're at 90. <laughs> round it off. So we decided, well, what's the harm? Why don't we go back in and see if this is a serious thing or not? So we went back in. And the trouble was the local hospital used to have this ER check-in where you could check in in advance or you could find out what the wait time was. And since they've been under new ownership over the past year, they took that away. So just by default, I go to the local hospital. I could go an extra 20 minutes and get to a much bigger, better hospital. I just didn't feel like doing it and I didn't think it mattered. Well, on this particular day, I waited in the ER waiting room for nine hours. That is not a joke. It was nine hours. Then two or three days later, I had to go back to the hospital because somebody sent me a gift that didn't arrive till after I was discharged. So I went back to the hospital. I, I poked my head in. There was one person in the waiting room. There was one person. I had to endure the nine-hour wait. But if it had been two or three days later, it was, like, it was like a ghost town at this hospital. Anyway, 
So I went in and they started to give me oxygen. And so I used that, you know, for while I was at the hospital for a few days, I did get some assist with the oxygen. I was also having a cough and it was a dry, unproductive cough that would give me a headache every time I would cough. And I needed good regenerative sleep. I needed to sleep. And this cough was making that difficult. So I have to say, they were very good. Everything I asked them for, I got. I said, I want cough medicine, not the -the over-the-counter stuff that we all know hasn't worked in the U.S. for 30 years. I want the real cough medicine that's actually going to stop this cough. And that's exactly what I got. Whenever I asked for it, I got it. And it was great. I was able to sleep. But I'll tell you something. It's not very restful when at four o'clock in the morning, they come in every day to draw blood. And and I hate, I hate having blood drawn. I hate needles. I hate everything. I hate all that stuff. Four o'clock in the morning, then 4.15, another chest x-ray. Are you you kidding me? I'm sharing a room with this other guy who after 4.15 figures he's awake for the day. I don't know if he's a farmer. I, I don't know why you would do that. He thinks, okay, it's 4.15. I'm going to turn on the news. Oh my God. So, so I've got earplugs in. I got a blindfold on just to be able to survive with this jerk next to me. And then he's yelling out into the hallway that he wants some coffee. He's not allowed to have coffee for whatever reason. He thinks that if, if he catches just the right nurse, he might trick her into bringing him some coffee. And I, I, I kind of thought, I wish I could find the guy some coffee just to shut him up. Anyway, so it was very un... And then six o'clock in the morning, breakfast would come. I'm like, what? Six? Are you kidding me? I mean, I am a very late night, late to bed, sort of late to rise kind of person. <laughs> Six o'clock in the morning. But on the other hand, I'm starving because we had dinner at like 5.30. So of course, I have to eat at 6 a.m. So anyway, it was a terrible, terrible experience. Anyway, they told me I would probably be in the hospital for five to seven days, if you can believe that. And so I'll be honest, I was surprised how hard this hit me, given that I have no comorbidities. I'm in excellent health. I keep in shape. I go to the gym regularly, all this other stuff. I eat pretty well. You know, I'm active. So it surprised me that it it hit me as hard as it did. However, I actually wound up being able to check out several days earlier than than expected. Instead of five to seven, it was only three. Because the doctor came in and said, well, you're doing great. I mean, we, (laughs) all your vital signs are great and numbers looking great. I did have some the oxygen equipment when I went home, but I didn't really need it. I used it at night when I went to sleep, just for obvious reasons. When you're asleep, how can you monitor your breathing? So I thought just to be on the safe side, I'll use this thing while I'm sleeping. But then really, it was just a matter of each day, I just started to feel better and more energetic and less tired. It was, I mean, really, I would say if I had to narrow down what was the one symptom that was the most annoying, it would be a tie between that never-ending fever, and just being so tired. Just, I mean, it's not a lot of physical exertion to write the newsletter that I put out, but it just seemed exhausting even to try. And even to sit up, I just wanted to lie down all day. But now I feel fine. I mean, honestly, now I, now I want to get back on the road and do some more traveling and get back to my life. During the entire time I was in the hospital and just not feeling well, I was in contact with doctors I trust and getting good sound advice from them. Interestingly, the doctor who primarily treated me while I was in the hospital told me afterward that I should get vaccinated even after I'd had the infection. And so I just, uh, you know, I just kind of brushed that off because that's not happening. That's ridiculous and 
part of the general insanity. So that's definitely not going to happen. Anyway, let me share with you something. I did send this to my newsletter list, but you might enjoy hearing it again. And I put it on social media. It just makes me feel better to have written it. So it's like an open letter to the person who gave me the virus. Obviously, I don't know who this is. And the person himself doesn't know who it is. But nevertheless, this is what I would say. I have no idea who you are, but our paths almost surely crossed last month in Las Vegas. Even now, I wouldn't change a thing about that trip, by the way, which was a blast. The existence of the virus, it's true, made my life a fraction of 1% more dangerous than it was before. But since I don't have any mental disorders, I hadn't calibrated my risk tolerance so precisely that such a tiny change would make me radically alter my life. Naturally, if you knew you were sick, you should have stayed home. Of all the advice they've given, mask wearing, social distancing, and all the rest, staying home when you're sick would do by far the most good, yet we hear it urged upon us the least. At the same time, The Hill reports that you can easily confuse the symptoms of the virus for allergies, so it's entirely possible not to be aware that you're contagious. I see no reason to assume bad will on your part. Every time I leave my house, I'm taking a risk. We all are. I don't blame you for constraints imposed by reality. If the chance of being struck by lightning increased tenfold tomorrow, this would not affect my behavior in any way. Not being neurotic, I don't live my life as if the present rate of lightning strikes is precisely as high as I can tolerate. It has become almost impossible to have a rational conversation about any of this. For one thing, most people are shockingly misinformed. Ask the average person what the likelihood is of someone in his age cohort needing to be hospitalized for COVID, and his answer will be off by a factor of 10, if not 100, guaranteed. For that matter, I cannot believe how many people think masks are accomplishing anything. The laughable studies on masks generally assume what they set out to prove and or confine themselves to strangely arbitrary timeframes before explosions in COVID spread. Dozens of countries have seen their COVID charts go almost vertical after, not necessarily immediately after, but after introducing large-scale masking, which is what the charts would look like if masks accomplished absolutely nothing. These places are ignored because nobody is told about them. Meanwhile, there have been essentially zero COVID deaths in Sweden over the past month, and the rest of Scandinavia is also doing very well despite very little masking or other restrictions. The world acts as if these countries do not exist. As usual with the you're-to-blame-for-the-virus people, success stories like these are of no interest because there's nobody they can demonize, and demonizing people is their favorite pastime. The case of Nepal is interesting, too. After a lockdown that ended in July 2020, they decided essentially to proceed as normal. They're a poor country, and they chose the radical, unheard-of approach of overturning a policy that would have had them starving to death. And guess what? They're doing fine. Public health officials were stumped, but at this point, who can be surprised by that? What we laughingly call our public health establishment has made fools of themselves during this entire fiasco. Nepal is at 340 deaths per million. Compare that to lockdown countries like the UK at 1909, or Spain at 1756, or Belgium at 2170, or Peru at 5883. Back in the United States, the Sun Belt spike of 2020 
came down with zero behavioral changes of any kind. The COVID is your fault people are too determined to blame someone to show any curiosity about this, even though it absolutely should evoke curiosity. COVID comes and goes seasonally and regionally and blows its way past our silly masks and six-foot floor stickers. With my friend Tim Scott, I created a website where people can test their ability to determine which alleged mitigation measures accomplished what. If they work, it should be easy and obvious to choose which line on a graph represents a state or country that implemented it and which line represents one that did not. So go ahead, try your hand at it. If any of the insanity accomplished anything, it'll be a breeze. The website is covidchartswithanSquiz.com. Covidchartsquiz.com. Now, it's true, I was definitely laid up in bed for a while. But not a single kid should have missed a single basketball practice to keep me from getting sick. Imagine the selfishness involved in that kind of demand. Screw that. And nor should you, mysterious Las Vegas person, feel sorry for me. I don't want you staying in your house. I don't want you refusing to live. I'm glad you are out living your life, enjoying things that make life worth living. Merely preserving your biological existence is unworthy of a human being. This is especially so when we've been given no indication of precisely what would constitute an all-clear. It's all arbitrariness piled upon more anti-scientific arbitrariness. We should all be inspired by the words of Lord Sumption in the UK, quote, what sort of life do we think we are protecting? There is more to life than the avoidance of death. Life is a drink with friends. Life is a crowded football match or a live concert. Life is a family celebration with children and grandchildren. Life is companionship, an arm around one's back, laughter or tears shared at less than two meters. These things are not just optional extras. They are life itself. They are fundamental to our humanity, to our existence, as social beings. Of course, death is permanent, whereas joy may be temporarily suspended. But the force of that point depends on how temporary it really is, unquote. Thank you, Las Vegas person, for refusing to be inhuman, for refusing to be an automaton, and for saying yes to those things that bring us joy and make our lives meaningful. All right, so that's my letter. Now, one more thing before we um, wrap up for today that I want to share with you. I'll probably send this out to the newsletter list at some point, but last week I sent out an email in which I reproduced an email somebody had sent me from Iceland saying that it looked like Iceland was starting to go backwards again because they're, they're very heavily uh, vaccinated, one of the most vaccinated countries in the world, and they're seeing the biggest spike they've ever had. And it's not just, well, it's just cases and doesn't mean anything because thankfully the vaccines are keeping people out of the hospitals. They're, they're actually having a, they're saying we're not quite at absolute emergency levels, but the number of hospitalizations is higher than we're, we're comfortable with. So it looked like they were considering going back to the lockdown kind of approach. But then something happened over the weekend. Iceland had a day whose U.S. equivalent would have been 100,000 new cases. And so now they're state epidemiologists, and I can't even begin to pronounce this guy's name. But what's interesting about it is they call him in the news media in Iceland the epidemiologist. It is so weird. Like there's one in the country, the state epidemiologist. He's referred to as the epidemiologist. The article I read, his name doesn't even appear till the third paragraph. It's so strange. Anyway, 
he's basically thrown up his hands and he says he's disappointed that he says vaccination has done a lot of good because it's, he, he says it's prevented serious illness and some hospitalizations. He says, but it's disappointing that it has not brought about herd immunity and is not likely to. He says, so the only approach now is to protect vulnerable groups and just, we're just going to have to live with the virus moving through society. And so he says, we really cannot do anything else. We need to try to vaccinate and better protect those who are vulnerable, but let us tolerate the infection. We need to somehow navigate this way, and we are now in this, not to get too many serious illnesses so that the hospital system doesn't collapse, but still try to achieve this herd immunity by letting the virus somehow run. Very interesting. Very interesting. So we'll see, because, I mean, there were people talking about restrictions in Iceland going five to 15 more years. And maybe they're saying this, what is the point of any of it? All right, now, before we uh, wrap up for today, boy, am I behind because of um, being out for several days. I want to start helping out all you good folks who have websites that are of interest to my listeners. And so the first one I want to do in, in getting back to this is the Upper Peninsula Libertarian Party. These are the folks who are in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I must have listeners in that region. This website is uplp.org. So Upper Peninsula Libertarian Party, uplp.org. These are good people doing good work, and I know I've got some people in this part of the country. I just know it. So I want you to connect with them over at uplp.org. Find out about their events and what they're up to. Make friends, help out. Check out uplp.org. I'll put it on the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 1948. And remember, if you're thinking about starting a website, before you do that, check out tomwoods.com slash publicity about how I can help get you publicity for your site and also help you get started with it with some free tutorials and other benefits that I have. tomwoods.com slash publicity, again, is the resource page for that. And I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.